Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen Jesus, the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and the place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Calvary. How are we doing? All right. Good morning, Calvary. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I was thinking as I was watching the, uh, still getting a lot of feedback maybe from that mic. Um, would it help to turn this one off or no? No? Okay. Um, all right. I was thinking as we were sitting there uh, listening to Pastor Manfred's announcements, um, that if he really wanted to show solidarity with uh, his missionaries uh, that we support, that he should maybe sport just the mustache, just like Joe was doing in that video. So maybe you guys can help me encourage him to go for that. I think that would be a nice look for Manfred. So I was also, <laughs> I ran, we're going to get some just random thoughts of Johnny as he's sitting there getting ready to preach. Um, I was also thinking to myself, I was giving Gerald a hard time uh, on Easter morning when I was doing uh, the announcements about having people there, and he was kind of nervous, and hopefully he'd do well. And uh, sitting there, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool, <laughs> kind of different and cool to have people here now. Um, so it's really good to have you all. And I'm also super thankful for uh, the good parts of technology. For those of you joining us on the live stream, even though we're limited in number here, I'm really thankful that you can be with us this morning also. As we get into this story about Thomas, I've been reminded in thinking about this sermon, as stories are such a gift to us as human beings, I think oftentimes 
in our own lives, we just kind of get on in the hustle and bustle of our lives. And it's really hard for us to kind of sit and reflect about our own stories. Or sometimes we think our stories are insignificant, or sometimes our stories have so much pain they're hard to go back to. But I was just thinking to myself, as we read through the narratives of the gospel, it's like such a gift to have stories for us, stories of Jesus meeting people. Some of you maybe have had a chance to listen to our podcast uh, that we started this past year in uh, last fall. And we have a mini-series within our podcast called Stories of Calvary. And Caroline Whitman and I have the opportunity just to interview a number of you and just hear your stories. And and every time, I'm just so blown away by the way uh, God has worked in your lives. And um, it's just such a gift to us. And even as we listened to the story there of Thomas interacting with Jesus post-resurrection, it comes to my mind that oftentimes we can think of Thomas in this one little moment, this one little scene where he expresses skepticism and doubt, and then kind of color Thomas and all of his life in this one scene. And how easy is it to do that, right? You see someone, whether maybe an incredible positive moment or maybe an incredibly negative moment, and that then somehow becomes like the defining identity of who they are. Right? And uh, none of us want that done to us, right? I know I don't want to be defined by some of my, my weak moments, uh, but probably not as good as some of my best moments either, right? But again, what a gift it is that we have these stories of Jesus interacting with people, people like the, Thomas, one of his disciples. So in this moment we have, what's so fascinating with Thomas is that he's given a title based off this one moment, right? We all know it, Doubting Thomas. I want to at the very least say that's not fair for Thomas. (laughs) There's much more to Thomas than this one moment that we see of him post-resurrection. And so what I'd like to do this morning is really just simply kind of walk through John's developing picture of Thomas and watch Jesus all along the way and see how Jesus interacts with Thomas. And I hope as we do that, it doesn't just simply become for us kind of looking back at a historical person and see how Jesus interacts with him and think, oh, that's really interesting, that's cool. Maybe I picked up on pieces of the story I didn't know before. But I want you to imagine yourself in here. I want you to imagine yourself as Thomas. I really appreciated the kind of song choices we had this morning because it Almost every one of the songs kind of led us into this moment of like uh, having to trust God kind of in the doubts, in the struggles, in the pain. And, and being a pastor, um, one of the, the joys and beauties, but also challenges of pastoral ministries is you hear a lot of painful stories, right? People trust you with their stories. And so even just looking out here, In the congregation, it's like I can just list so many trials that you all have been through. I'm trying to avoid contact so I don't feel like emotional um, thinking about some of your guys' struggles and and through that. And so what I want to do is as we see Jesus, he pursues Thomas. But what's interesting is in his pursuit of Thomas, this is post-resurrection. We've gone a long way from Genesis, (laughs) 
And we've gotten to Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' life, his love, his humility, even unto death. And he comes back from the dead. And you would think, like, if you stopped reading the rest of the Bible, that everything just is great from here on out. I mean, this changes everything. Jesus came back from the dead. And yet, right away, just like Noah getting off the boat, right, gets drunk. Right after the resurrection, Thomas is still struggling. Post-resurrection people, like you and me, and like Thomas, we still struggle. Even in the midst of the resurrection of Jesus, we still struggle. But what is so beautiful that we'll see throughout this story of Thomas is that Jesus is still there. Jesus is still present with Thomas. We know from last week that Jesus had his first Sunday morning gathering with his disciples, and Thomas wasn't there, as we find out in our story this morning. And so Jesus has another Sunday morning visit a week later, still post-resurrection, obviously, with his disciples again. Thomas is there this time. And as we will get into more of chapter 21 in just a minute, but just to highlight that Jesus doesn't seem to be annoyed by Thomas's skepticism and doubt. He understands Thomas, and I think he appreciates what Thomas brings to the table with his disciples especially, and he's willing to go and be there with him and show him the evidence. So what a beautiful interweaving we have today of Jesus and Thomas, and I hope you will see this morning a beautiful interweaving of Jesus and you. Because Jesus promises at the end of this story that blessed are those who don't see and still believe. And so he's still pursuing you even today, which is beautiful. So as we get into the story, the first thing I want to highlight about Thomas is a little bit of a slight maybe by the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All they don't really give you any window into Thomas. The one thing you know about Thomas, he's in a list of names. That's it. It's all Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us about Thomas. He is, in fact, identifiably a disciple, story over. That's all we got. But not in John. John tells us a little bit more about Thomas. And the moments where he refers to Thomas are pretty intense scenes and conversations. It's not in passing. Thomas has some pretty dramatic interactions in the stories that John brings up. I think John wants us to see Thomas, especially as he brings him back into the resurrection story. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open up or scroll down, whatever you're doing this morning with your Bible. Um, and, and John chapter 11 is where we first see the interaction of Thomas in the story of the Gospels. Right away at the beginning of chapter 11 in John, we see that Lazarus is sick. Jesus learns about Lazarus being sick, and Jesus, being close with Lazarus, wants to go see Lazarus, which is another just, just in passing, Jesus pursuing people, right? Another Thomas in here. Lazarus is sick. Jesus wants to go and be with Lazarus, but there's a problem, that sounds easy. Jesus can heal people, so just go visit Lazarus and heal him. Fine. But if we look back in chapter 10, Jesus barely snuck away and escaped being stoned to death. 
Where was he when that was happening? He was in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. But if Jesus is going to go back and see Lazarus, he has to go back to another town that is in Judea, Bethany, which is not far from Jerusalem. And so there's a little bit of a challenge here. Jesus finally sneaks away, gets away from the leaders that want to stone him to death, gets away, hears about Lazarus, and immediately wants to go right back into the heat of the fire to see Lazarus. And we know that he waited the two days, didn't go right away. And so as Jesus is talking about this with his disciples, we see later on in the chapter, the disciples uh, say, to, say to him, basically, why are you wanting to go back? Like, we should not go back to Judea. We should not go to Bethany. That is way too close to Jerusalem. This is not a good idea. And, and we could all understand that. Again, putting ourselves into a story where you're with a leader who just barely escaped being killed. You go to another town across the Jordan, get out of, away from all the drama and the intensity and just like catch your breath for a minute. And then all of a sudden he hears about one person being sick and he's going to go right back into it. It's like, Jesus, we can lose one. It's okay. Like, we, do we really need to go back and heal Lazarus? Like, you got to get some perspective here. So these are the disciples, right? Well, let's insert Thomas into that. What's Thomas's perspective? Well, verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Wow. What happened to doubting Thomas? <laughs> right? Like, all of a sudden, he's the one valiant man of the disciples willing to follow Jesus even unto death. It was almost like the spies, right, that we hear in Torah, like the two that were willing to go and obey God and no matter what God called him to. And so all of a sudden, Thomas is the one disciple that is willing to go and die with Jesus. And he's looking around at the rest of them like, Why are, what are you concerned about? Go, let's go with Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. So Thomas all of a sudden doesn't seem like doubting Thomas anymore. How does that fit? It seems like loyal Thomas, courageous Thomas, not doubting Thomas. Here Thomas, again, is loyal and courageous and unlike his colleagues, is willing to follow Jesus, even if it costs him his life. And what I would say about Thomas is, like, you don't get to that place in life to follow someone with that level of intensity by just thinking, like, man, this guy has some pretty interesting philosophical ideas. Like, I find really interesting. I want to hear more about his teachings. Like, no, you are 100% all in on what this man is promising for the world. This man is promising to fix the world, and you are going to go with him even if it means your own life. Thomas is fully invested in the kingdom of God. And as we know, they go to Bethany. Lazarus at that point is already dead. Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead. So Thomas sees this. Thomas sees that Jesus brought back Lazarus from the dead. 
But what this continues to happen in this story of Jesus and Thomas is that this only intensifies the pursuit to kill Jesus. So imagine Thomas, you are with Jesus, barely escape your leader being killed, who you're willing to give your life for, willing to go back into Judea, even if it costs your life. You go back, take the risk, have Lazarus, see Lazarus raised from the dead, and the like, intensity of life-threatening situation is only increasing. And Thomas is experiencing all this. There's this constant threat on Jesus' life. And this then brings them into what we know in John 13 as the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. So Thomas is now in this around Passover having, his, having a meal with Jesus and having his feet washed by Jesus. So Thomas, now this man who he is willing to follow unto death, now is having his feet washed by that same person who also resurrected someone from the dead. And then just to add to the kind of intensity of the, the scene, at this dinner, as Jesus had brought someone back from the dead, put himself back into life-threatening situations, washes their feet, then also says, oh, by the way, one of you are going to betray me. And then another one of you are going to deny me three times. So imagine with Thomas. Thomas doesn't uh, come across to me so far in the narrative as someone that's just kind of like um, moldable and passive. <laughs> Right? Like, he's the one ready to die. He's ready to go. Seems like kind of like a very forthright, intense personality. You know, ready to, to, to take, come whatever it may. Take all the costs. Take all the costs and go. And all this intensity that's going on, you imagine Thomas is just, I would imagine that, that dinner just so worked up, like, what is going on? And so then we go into chapter 14, and what does Jesus say in chapter 14 is where we have the next conversation with Thomas. We see Jesus says at the beginning, given everything we just rehearsed, let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, you are so out of touch with what is going on right now. Like, you almost were killed, we fled, you put us right back into the scenario to be killed again, but you did raise someone from the dead. That's pretty spectacular. And then you washed my feet, which is like crazy that you would humble yourself to do that for me. But then you said these people are going to betray you and let not my heart be troubled? What are you talking about? There is a lot going on, you can imagine, with Thomas. And then on top of that, you remember Thomas is feeling significant solidarity with Jesus, right? Significant solidarity with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Let's read. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And what is Thomas's response? <laughs> Remember, Thomas, for you like taking his response, Intense solidarity with Jesus, ready to die with Jesus. Thomas said to him, Lord, can I just be clear here? 
let's get the specificity and detail down here. You say you're going somewhere. We do not know where you are going. <laughs> this place about where you're, talk about where you're going and you're coming back, we don't understand what you're saying. You say you're going somewhere. I don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like he's begging Jesus to shoot straight with me. I was just willing to die with you. I went with you. Our lives were spared somehow in the process. You resurrected someone from the dead. You had a meal with me at Passover. You washed my feet. Now I've been with you. Like I said, I would go with you even if it cost my life. And he did. Remember that. Thomas did do that. It just wasn't something he threw out there. Like I'd even go with you even if I have to die. Not really. No, he went. He went with Jesus back to Bethany. And now Jesus, given all the intensity and, and drama at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I'm going to go, and where I go, I'll prepare a place for you, but don't worry, it's so that we can all be together. What are you talking about? You are here right in front of me. I don't know what you're talking about, actually. Where, are you, where is this place you talk about? And Jesus gives... His usual straightforward answer, right? Jesus is always straightforward. Uh, not so much. He says to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. You do know him, excuse me, and have seen him. And Thomas is <laughs> like, can you try one more time? Like, that was not clear. Like, I'm asking you, where are you going? And where are you, like, are you coming back? And you're going to, like, what are you talking about, right? So we're getting a little bit of a picture of Thomas, right? Deep loyalty. But also, in this story, we have Thomas, a little bit of a picture of willing to kind of push Jesus. Like, Jesus is the clear rabbi. Jesus is the clear teacher in this situation. But Thomas... I would say, probably has a pretty strong personality, and I don't even think it's disrespectful at all to Jesus. I think he's just like pushing Jesus. of like, what are you talking about? I just risked my life to be with you, and now you're going to leave. And I'm so, let not my heart be troubled. Like, just shoot straight with me, Jesus. What is going on? Thomas seems to be on a journey with Jesus. And I can really resonate with this as someone who is a leader in a community um, where it's like not, you're having to be told to like relax. It's not yours to figure out. <laughs> How many of us have like really planned for something, right? And you're really working hard for something good. And it really feels like it's all dependent on you. And it really seems like Thomas is in that space. But Jesus is asking him, as we continue to get to our final scene with Thomas, relax. I am the way. The only thing you need to worry about where I'm going, how I'm coming back, what I'm preparing, is follow me. Let not your heart be troubled. And yet we as human beings are so restless and want to work so hard to prove to God, to prove to Jesus that we will die with him. And Jesus is saying, I don't need you to die for me. I need you to trust me. I need you to follow me. 
This is not doubting, frail, weak Thomas. <laughs> this is, a, I would imagine, to be a pretty strong, impressive leader, an influential leader, one that tells the rest of the group, we're going to die with Jesus if we have to, one that is willing to stand up to Jesus and say, you need to clarify some things about what you're saying. This is an impressive character, and, and I would imagine an influencer that we don't often think about when we think about Thomas. It is not hard for me to see this as the same person, the Thomas of chapter 11 and the Thomas of chapter 14, and then getting us to the Thomas of 20. This does not seem to, hard to me to see the same person. As we see in the 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, we know that Jesus, in fact, was crucified. That's a big change in the story for Thomas. He followed Jesus, risked his life to be with Jesus, trusted Jesus, only to see Jesus killed. Now remember, this is a Thomas who's skeptical post-resurrection, even people telling him that Jesus resurrected from the dead. So if he's skeptical in conversation with his disciples post-resurrection, he is fully convinced that whatever Jesus of Nazareth was, was a failure. Like come death of Jesus, tomb, dead Jesus, that's the end of the story for Thomas now. If he still won't even believe once the disciples are telling them him face to face, he's still skeptical about it. Like he has, that's over and done with. And you can imagine a person with that kind of leadership intensity as like Thomas, like I was willing to give my life for you. I'm not interested in like opening my life back up to you with this crazy story that someone came back from the dead. Okay, so if you want me to believe it, let me put my hands in, my fingers in his hands and in his side, and then maybe we can talk. But I'm not interested in having this false fairy tale story that the Jesus I was willing to give my life for led us down the wrong path and end up just being killed in another failed Messiah. I'm not interested in that again. That's a different Thomas than just this doubting Thomas that's sitting and too scared. No, it's a, it's a protective Thomas. It's a protective Thomas because he was willing to give up everything and did give up everything only to have the one whom he gave everything up for die. But Jesus did say, I'm going somewhere and I will return. And so we get to John chapter 21. The story we have today, it's kind of a cool layout. John is written meaningfully later than the other Gospels. And so it's interesting for John to maybe highlight the fact that Jesus, I don't think this is like a command that we have to meet on Sundays, but it's just fun <laughs> that there's two Sundays in a row after the resurrection that Jesus meets. And so we, thousands of years later, meet on Sunday with the resurrected Jesus still. I like that idea. And Thomas, I'm not surprised he wasn't at the first meeting. We don't really know why. The text doesn't really say to us uh, why he wasn't there. But if you put the story together, I'm not surprised that 
Thomas wanted some space from the disciples. Maybe he thought they weren't willing to die with Jesus back in the Lazarus narrative, and now they're all sitting around doing nothing, waiting for what? Like, maybe he just wanted some space from them. I don't feel super surprised that he's not in the first Sunday gathering, but, but the second Sunday, he's there. And somehow, the resurrected Jesus knows. And what's so beautiful about Jesus is his response in this narrative isn't like, okay, Thomas, you're so worked up about everything, man. Like, all right, I'll, I'll come, I'll show you my hands. No, it's like he wants to pursue Thomas. He loves Thomas. He wants to be with Thomas. He wants to show Thomas, just like he showed the other disciples. How many of us feel like surely God wouldn't see us in the mess and the brokenness of our own stories, or even in our doubts and skepticism. But like Jesus is eager to be right where you are at, just like he was with Thomas. And so where would you find Jesus? You'd find him with the one. I mean, he's already seen most of the disciples. He could think at this point, like, I'm not going to waste my time going and seeing them all again. They can tell Thomas just as well. But he's like, no, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to initiate. And I'm going to see Thomas. And I'm going to show him my hands. Thomas, remember, must be absolutely crushed in the death of Jesus. And the skepticism, at this point, is it skepticism even? Or is it just anger that Jesus failed him? until Jesus arrives. And the Thomas that had been working hard his whole life to prove to Jesus that he was unique and special sees Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. One of the most profound direct statements we have in John's gospel of Jesus as one essence with the Father. Do you remember back in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He changed water to wine. He said he would destroy the temple and in three days raise it up. He showed deep invasive knowledge of the woman at the well. He healed an invalid of 38 years. He walked on water. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. He healed a man that was born blind. He said he was the good shepherd. 
He resurrected a man from the dead and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the true vine. He wept. He washed feet. He sacrificed his life. He resurrected from the dead, and he still pursues Thomas. He still meets Thomas at Thomas's, knowing it would be Thomas's breaking point. My Lord and my God. Thomas helps us all see that the plan of God's redemption to save the entire creation and us individually is not up to us. The work of God in this world is not up to us, but the way. Jesus, the way. The simple call in Jesus in this text is do not disbelieve, but believe. For some of us, that call could be particular situations where we just see God not showing up, where we see God absent in our efforts and in our work. And the answer is not to work harder. It's not less than working hard. But the answer is not work harder. The answer is believe Jesus. Believe Jesus that he, as we hear from the writer of Hebrews, will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. The simple call to Thomas was go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Give him your life. Maybe you are here this morning or listening on the live stream and you've been fighting your whole life for answers. You've been fighting your whole life for meaning, for belonging. But we have in, in watching this gift of a story of Thomas for us, Someone who realized he would never have meaning, he would never belong, he would never have his sins forgiven until he finally surrendered to Jesus. And that is our calling this morning, which is such a beautiful week to take the Lord's table together, to be an actual reenactment of the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the body and the blood of Jesus presented to us this morning to trust and to believe. And so may we with Thomas, one of the most beautiful confessions in all of scripture, my Lord and my God. Before we go to the table, let's pray together. <laughs> Father, we come to you this morning. So many stories. So many stories. 
so much hurt, so much pain, and yet, because of you, so much hope for beauty and wholeness. Father, I pray this morning as some of us still struggle with pain and brokenness and doubt, I pray that we could almost physically and really release our hands of things we can't fix, but look to you to heal and to restore. Father, we know that you are eager to heal and restore because of what we celebrate this morning in the death and resurrection of your son. Just as your son was not committed to have to stay in death and to stay in pain as you brought him back from the dead, so we, even in our pain and in our doubt, look for resurrection hope. Whether in our immediate situations right now or for sure in our longing for the whole creation to be restored. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now going to transition to communion. You should have received a cup, the wine, and the bread as you came in this morning. I want to just say a few things about our communion this morning. This meal is a family meal. If you have never in your life gone to Jesus as your Lord and your God, we do ask that you withhold from this meal. Please find me or anyone else here at the church to just talk and see how Jesus can be also your Lord and your God and join us in the family meal in the future. This meal is not only a family meal, but it's a meal of thanksgiving. It's a meal of communion and a meal of joy and hope. It is a meal of thanksgiving, thanking God for his creative and redemptive work. It's a meal of communion. The triune God's sharing of life and love draws us into communion with him and with each other. It is a communion with the crucified and living Christ, who is God's gift to the world. It is a meal of joy and hope, because in the eating and drinking, you proclaim that God the Father, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of his Son, and by the power of the Spirit, is reconciling the world to himself. Take with me the bread. Let me read the words of institution. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat together same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns let's drink together Father, our lives are before you. This morning, our singing was before you. Our words are before you. This week, we have no idea what you will bring us, what you will bring to our church family, what you bring to us individually, but we entrust ourselves to you. Where you lead, we will follow. Pray this all in Jesus' name.